All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're all here today. In between holidays, sometimes it's uh, got so much going on, it's tough to get the, get the place filled. We did pretty good, I think. Not too shabby. We'll deal with those other sinners later. <laughs> oh, boy. We better pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Thank you that because he died and rose from the grave on the third day and ascended to your right hand and lives there, as your word says, forever and ever to make intercession on our behalf. Lord, that we have a counselor that stands before the throne on our behalf, Lord. And because we've received that gift, because we've believed and put our faith in him, the Bible says that we can boldly come before you and in your throne room, Lord, and make our petitions known. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to know you further today. We pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to know ourselves better today, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would search us and you would see if there is a wicked way in each of us, Lord, and that you would expose it in just a gentle, uh, natural way that you do, Father, and give us the, the faith that we need, Lord, to surrender our lives and our hearts to you, Lord, and to allow you to have your perfect will and your perfect way in us, Lord. Uh, Father, we know and we believe that your ways are above ours uh, and that your thoughts towards us, Lord, are always uh, to prosper us, Lord, spiritually and to bring us closer to yourself, Lord, even through the difficult times. Uh, we pray that you'd give us the faith, that, Lord, where we lack the faith to trust in that, Father, and to put our hope in you um, and in the future that we have in you, Lord. We pray that you'd give us those hearts that Jesus talked about, Lord, that we would be seeking to store up treasures in heaven. Uh, instead of treasures on earth, Father, where moth and rust destroy. But if our treasure's in heaven, Lord, you can never be destroyed, and that's where our hearts are going to be, Father. So make us the people you need us to be, Lord. Conform us into the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus, uh, and do for us, we pray, which we could never do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. Well, we are in the book of Exodus, uh, and chapter 20, God bless you. And we are going to be covering the Ten Commandments this morning. Hopefully we'll get through all ten. Um, you know them, <laughs> right? You know them. Um, and on the surface, this might be the, 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 the service that you skip. I know the Ten Commandments. I mean, everybody knows the Ten Commandments. If you don't know it, it's written somewhere, right? Um, there's always more. There's always more. When Jesus Christ came on the scene and he began to teach the law... The Bible says that the people were amazed and astounded at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the religious leaders. Uh, the religious leaders taught what they had been taught. The religious leaders only knew what those before them had known. But Jesus knew something that none of them knew. Jesus had a deeper understanding. He had the true understanding of what the scripture was teaching when it said, Thou shalt not. And the religious people of those days thought that it was enough that if I, on the outward, on the surface, if I keep the commandments, if I don't do the things that the Bible says not to do, and I do the things that the Bible says I'm supposed to do, and I offer my sacrifices, and I go to temple, then I'll be okay. I'll be justified before God. And Jesus Christ came into the world, and one of the amazing things that he said was that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. Remember? What did he say about the world? The status of the world was that it already stood condemned. The world already stood condemned. Jesus Christ did not come to planet earth to condemn. 
Remember Jesus Christ uh, when they brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery before him and they threw him at his feet and they began to recite the law of Moses. Now the law says that this woman who was caught in the act of adultery ought to be stoned. And they knew very well that they were setting a trap for Jesus because the power of capital punishment had been taken away from the Jewish people by Rome. They were not allowed to perform capital punishment. They were taking their own life in their hands if they did. And they were putting Jesus in a tight spot. They wanted him either, and they did this several times, they either wanted to take him to take a position against Rome, and then they would turn him in, or they wanted to take him to take a position against the tradition of the elders, and thereby they could turn the elders and hopefully the people against him. But you know what the funny thing is about Jesus? He just is always smarter. He just is always smarter. Can you imagine these poor guys? That's how I look at them. Thinking, we got him now. We got him now. You see, they weren't there when he threw the stars into the skies. They weren't there when God the Father said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. They had no idea who they were dealing with. They didn't know and they didn't understand that Jesus Christ was not just the son of a carpenter, who supposedly, his story was, he'd been born of a virgin. They didn't believe it. They thought he was a child of adultery or fornication. Uh, And they didn't understand and know that who they were confronted with and the man that stood before them was able to look into their minds, into their hearts, into their souls, and discern exactly what was going on there. You know, we talk a lot of trash. We talk a lot of trash. And we tell people a lot of things that we think they want to hear or that we think they would want us to say to to put forth a certain impression of ourselves. Here's the great thing about your relationship with Jesus Christ. He already knows. He already knows that thing, that thought, that secret. He already knows. And when the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery was brought before him, And her accusers came and they said, this woman caught in the act of adultery. Here's what the law says. She ought to be stoned to death. What do you say? I love it. And Jesus looks at him. And the Bible says that he began to write in the sand. And nobody knows what Jesus Christ wrote in the sand. Some people say it was the name of girlfriends. Of some of the priests, maybe. You know, some of the religious teachers. Maybe it was specific individual sins. Nobody knows what Jesus Christ wrote except the people that were there that day, which is another beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. He can keep your secret. He knows your heart. He knows your heart, but he wants you to make your confessions to To him. He wants to know so he can set you free. We don't need to know what he wrote in the sand. That was between him and those religious leaders. And they watched him. As he wrote whatever he wrote in the sand. Veronica. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh-oh. You know. Uh, if there's a Veronica here, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to bring you into this mess. Um, and then Jesus said that amazing thing. Let he of you, he among you, who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it says one by one, is it from the oldest to the youngest to the youngest to oldest? From the oldest to the youngest, right? Because they knew. They were undone. From oldest to youngest, they dropped the stones and they walked away. 
They had nothing left. Jesus Christ had just simply disarmed them because he spoke right to the heart. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your heart. And you would bring this woman before me to accuse her. I know what's in your heart. Which of you would cast a stone based on what's in your heart? And then he turned his attention to the woman and he said, where's your accusers? Where are they? And she said, there's none. They're gone. Remember what Jesus said? Neither do I accuse you. Now go your way and sin no more. Now that's the other important part of that. Because in the culture that we live in, in the day and age that we live in, we want to believe in the grace and mercy of God. We want to believe that we are forgiven. But that part about going and sinning no more, that's tougher. That's tougher. Remember when Jesus Christ was uh, in, the, in, the, in the area of the, of, uh, of, of the Gadasarenes, I think it was what it is called. You know where that is, right? You've been there. Gattis- right. You're like, oh yeah, the Gadasarenes. <laughs> and the man who was, who was possessed by devils, and he lived amongst the tombs, and they would try to tie him up, and he would break the chains that they bound him with. He's a madman. And he's crazed, and everyone steers clear of him. They're scared to death of him. He's like a walking, living, real-life horror film. Seriously. And he comes before Jesus, and he's... You know, and Jesus calls the demons out. Who are you? I am legion, for we are many. And then Jesus just begins to rebuke, and they fall at his feet. And the demons begin to cry out, We know who you are. Don't send us into the abyss before the appointed time. We know who you are, the Son of God. And Jesus rebukes them and tells them to be quiet. You know this part. And he sends the devils. They say, please, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into that herd of pigs. This is very important. There was a herd of pigs grazing nearby that was owned by that local town. Now, if you know anything, and probably if you know nothing about Judaism, you know pigs ain't kosher. They weren't supposed to be keeping pigs. And so Jesus tells this demon or this group of demons that's in this one individual, you have my permission, and they go into the herd of pigs, and the entire herd of pigs over the cliff and into the water, and they're destroyed. And remember the people from the town? You remember their reaction? They come out from the town because they hear commotion, and they see two things, three things. They see this man, the walking, living horror film, sitting at the feet of Christ in his right mind with his eyes looking like man's eyes. And they see Jesus and they know what's happened here. And then they look around and they see that their pigs are gone. You remember what they said to Jesus? Go away from us. Go away from us. They were upset because Jesus had done away with their pigs. Forget the miracle that he performed. Forget the fact that this man who had been demon-possessed was now in his right mind, sitting at their feet, thinking, speaking. All they saw was, our pigs are gone. Let me tell you something, Christian. You can't have pigs. Not, Not real pigs. You understand? You can eat pork to your heart's content. And if you can't, I'm in big trouble. I'm talking about in your life. I'm talking about in your heart. You can't have pigs. 
And Jesus will not show your pigs mercy. You get it? Jesus will not wink as you, I've just got one pig, <laughs> just one little pig, really cute little pot belly pig. <laughs> Jesus will not wink at that. Jesus will seek continually to confront the pigs in your life because he is a holy God. And within the framework of his holiness, we are undone before, because all of us stand before him utterly in sin. And that's why he had to die on the cross. And that's what he set us free from. Not so that I could continue to sin and continue to do the same things that I used to do. But so that I could be freed from my sin. And when I do blow it, I can immediately get back up and continue on in the faith. Because of the grace and mercy that was won for me and for you at the cross. Now, God appears to Moses, and Dad finished up chapter 19 talking about Mount Sinai, and God appears on the, on, on the mountain, and I like the King James Version. We're in the, we use the new King James Version. It's a little less Shakespearean, right, in its language. <clears throat> but sometimes, man, the King James just says it best, okay? Now, um, verse, 18 of chapter, uh, verse 18 of chapter 19 in Exodus says, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. King James Version says, now the mountain was altogether on a smoke. Like, the thing was on fire. Can you imagine an entire mountain appearing as though it was on fire? And God is very deliberate when he appears to the children of Israel to give them the law and to present himself to them as their God, he is very deliberate in showing them enough of his glory where they realized they had something to fear. In fact, he commanded Moses, while my presence is on Mount Sinai, no one and nothing can touch the mountain and live. If anyone touches the mountain, if a beast touches the mountain, don't touch it. Shoot it with an arrow or stone it because nothing of this earth and nothing that is of the flesh can be in my presence, can stand in my presence. You are all of you undone before me because I am a holy God and you are all together in sin. And God was very, very deliberate to show the people his awesome greatness so that they would fear he wanted them to fear. He wanted them to see his greatness and go, we don't even dare to stand before God. Moses, Moses, later they're going to say, uh, here's the deal, Mo. Okay, uh, how about you talk to God? Okay, and then you bring that back to us. All right, we're going to be over here, right? We're going to be, we don't want to go near that because we are afraid. God was showing him his glory, you see, there's two covenants in the Bible. There's the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that was given on Mount Sinai, and what that covenant is called is the covenant of the law. And he said to the children of Israel, if you do these things, then you will live long and be prosperous in the land I am going to give to you. And if you don't do them, I will drive you out of the land as I'm driving out the inhabitants that are there now before you. And you will be punished and you will be destroyed. Because if you do the things of the law, you'll live by them. And if you don't do the things of the law, you'll die by them. 
You're starting to get the picture why we need Jesus. All of the Old Testament is pointing, blinking, neon arrows towards Jesus Christ. Showing us in our hearts, you need a Savior. You cannot approach God. You need someone to do it for you. And so the prophets speak of the coming one, the anointed one, the holy one, the son of God. Now the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And everything pointed towards this one, this Messiah that who was to come. And the people, of course, were looking for a conquering hero. They were looking for someone to come on the scene in the spirit of King David when he came on the scene, destroying the Philistines. And they were looking for a conquering hero to come on the scene and drive the Romans out and to reestablish Israel as the preeminent power in the world. And when Jesus came, he said everything that they didn't want to hear. But that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. The Bible says that by his stripes we would be healed. Doesn't sound like a conquering hero, does it? Well, the Old Testament does speak of a conquering hero. The Old Testament does speak of a coming Messiah. We'll get to that. But the second covenant, the covenant that we have with God today, my friends... What we call the new covenant is the covenant that is based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he taught them the law in a way that they had never heard it and they had never understood it before. He taught it so well that even the most righteous amongst them must admit to himself, if he was being honest, I stand before God condemned today. Because he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. And they're like, that's right, I've never killed anyone. Oh. Right? But I say to you, if you hate your brother, there's murder in your heart, and you stand condemned. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I've never, I've never committed adultery. But if you look at a woman, ladies, if you look at a man, to lust upon him, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And you stand condemned before the Almighty God. Jesus Christ said, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. To show us all that we stand condemned before an Almighty God. So that his sacrifice would be that much sweeter for us. So, God appears on Mount Sinai. And here we go. Chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now we can stop right there, because it's important what God says here. I am the Lord your God. And every time that he would appear to the children of Israel, it's like he was reintroducing himself. And you notice the I am, right? I am, the self-existent one, and also Jehovah, I am the Lord your God. Really what he's saying is, I am becoming what you need me to be. I want, you to, re I want to read you a couple of, couple of scriptures. 
In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14, remember when Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountain? Because God says, I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice. And then just as he's about to offer Isaac, God stays his hand and he looks over and there's a ram in the thicket. And God provided, he had told Abraham, or or excuse me, he had told Abraham and Abraham had then told Isaac. Because Isaac said, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice? Remember what Abraham said? God will provide himself a sacrifice. And when the angel stayed his hand and he saw the, the, the ram in the thicket and they took it and then they offered that, can you imagine how joyous that sacrifice was for Abraham when he's offering the ram instead of his son? And he called that place the mountain, in the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And he called God that day Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. In Exodus chapter 15, God said to the children of Israel, I am Jehovah Rapha. He said, if you keep my commands, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. That's Jehovah Rapha. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, after the defeat of the Amalekites, Moses called the place Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord my banner. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 24, after God had appeared to Gideon in Ophrah, Gideon called the place Jehovah Shalom. Because remember Jehovah, remember he appeared to Gideon, and Gideon thought, I will surely die. I have seen God face to face, and I'm going to die. And Jesus said to him, no you won't. And instead he had a meal with him. You remember that? Gideon goes and prepares a whole meal. And it says the angel of the Lord just sat there and waited. For Gideon to prepare this whole meal. And Gideon after that called that place, the Lord, my peace. David would call him Jehovah Ra. You know this one from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. In Ezekiel 48.35, the Lord is there and the symbolical title uh, given by Ezekiel to the new Jerusalem is Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6, uh, the title given to Messiah, and also in Jeremiah 33:16, the title given to Jerusalem, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. You get in the picture, right? When Jesus or excuse me, when the Lord God appeared to the children of Israel and he says, every time you're reading this, when you're going through the scriptures yourself, and he says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, don't just, don't just gloss that over, because we just say God, right? In our society and in our culture, God, oh my God, God, God. It's generic. It's generic. God doesn't need you to know him as God. Do you know who I am to you? Do you know that I am Jehovah and that I am becoming what you need me to be, not what you want me to be? Christians, don't get it twisted. He is not becoming what you want him to be, okay? You're waiting on that God, you're going to be waiting a long time. And you're going to be disappointed. But he is becoming what you need him to be. And that's why when we suffer, if we have trials and we have tribulations and we do go through hard times, not just the good times, we can look for God there also. What does he need to be to you today? Does he need to be for you your banner? That you don't have to have fear and you can go out in this world surrounded by enemies and know that he is with you? 
Do you need a shepherd? Do you need peace? He is becoming what you need him to be. Don't ever gloss over that. I am the Lord your God. Do you know me? I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Verse 3. I don't think we're going to get through all 10. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What's that, like a lunch line? Don't let any other gods cut in front of me, pal. Okay? Lord goes first in line. That's not what he's talking about. When God says to the nation of Israel, you shall have no other gods before me, he means in his presence. Now, the Bible says that the earth is God's what? Footstool. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me in my presence. Again, don't gloss over that. Remember how Jesus would teach the law. What is there in your heart that you put before God? Now listen to me, okay? If you have the idea that as a Christian, if I'm really going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm really going to be a good Christian, I need to walk around and don't make too much noise because God will take something else from you. <laughs> you know, I'm just be quiet over here and just say, no, 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 no. You know, the Bible says you can have boldness and you can have courage and you can walk this world as a conquering champion because of what God has done. As you live your life before him in faith, he is never going to take anything from you that is not for your good. You need to trust in that and know that you can walk boldly your life before the Lord. I'm free. I didn't become a Christian and then therefore I'm locked up in some religious room. Now I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I mean, listen to me. There's never a day that goes by that I think, oh, the good old days. The good old days. There's never a day that goes by that I don't go, thank you, God, for putting me where you've put me. Thank you, God, for rescuing me from this thing, from that thing, from this thing that the world told me was going to give me freedom. That the world told me, you don't have to do what your old man says. Do this thing. This is what all the kids are doing. This is what freedom looks like. You need to be your own person. And all these other lies that end up becoming a snare and end up putting you in bondage to it. Paul says, all things are permissible for me, but, nothing, but not all things are beneficial. And I'm not going to be brought under the power of anything. I'm going to walk my life before God as I am, but I'm not going to allow anything to pull me away from his presence. I'm not going to have any other gods before him. I'm not going to have anything in my life that pulls me away from him. What pulls us away from God? If we're honest, how many times has Netflix pulled you away from God? I mean, I'm just being real, right? I'm, I'm not saying this to you to be like, you better go home and cancel that subscription center. Don't listen. You're free. You're free in Christ Jesus. You're free to live before him. Don't go cancel Netflix. Just make better decisions. And when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, don't watch that. Instead, come spend time with me. Listen to that voice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That still small voice that he speaks through your heart and your conscience. Put that down for a minute. Come spend some time with me. Do it. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image 
any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, there's not too many of us that have idols in our homes that we go home and we get on our, you know, we have an altar in front of it and we bow down to it and worship it. All right, that's, that's, that's something we look at that and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. Again, what is there in my life? What thing, what object that I put before God? That I would turn aside from something God has given me to do to instead focus my attention on this thing. All worship means, all that word worship means is that which you give worth to. Do you know that? That's that root of that word. That's what it means. That which you give worth to. Worthship. What has worthship in your life? God says, I want it to be me. And he says something interesting that has been much talked about. I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, this is why the Bible has to be taken as a whole. Okay? And I'm not saying that to explain away any one scripture verse. That's not what I mean by that. What I mean by that is there are people who will take one verse of scripture and they will come up with all sorts of kooky doctrines. All sorts of kooky doctrines that are not found anywhere in Scripture. They can't back them up in the whole of Scripture, but there's one obscure verse. And they look at this and they say, you see that? That's a, it's a generational curse. You got that generational curse in your life. You got that thing, you know, and you just, God's, you know, just, it just keeps visiting, revisiting. That's, that is, that is, uh, what can I say in church? Hogwash, man. Hogwash. <laughs> it's doo-doo. It's baloney. That is not the case. That is not the case. How many people, how many heroes in the Bible do we read about whose parents did not walk with God? Who were involved in idolatry and sin and every other kind of thing. And God says, I'm choosing you out of this. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to make something great out of your life. And I'm going to use you amongst the people. Sorry, I wish I could help you, but your dad's a real jerk, you know. When the disciples saw the blind man begging for money, he said, oh, Lord, who sinned, him or his father? Well, he's blind. Well, you deserve it, buddy, you know. It's like a good Christian, you know what I'm saying? And you walk past the Salvation Army bell, and you're like, you skirt the outside, you know, so they don't see you. And the guy with the homeless, hungry, please help sign? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't see anything, you know. All right. <clears throat> There's no generational curses. Okay? That's right. You can keep laughing. God wants to do something special and something fresh in your life. And God will take you, regardless of your family history, and he will set you up on a rock. The rock is Christ. And he'll make something great out of your life. There's no generational curse. What's he talking about then? When God visits men 
in the form of judgment, we have the great flood. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the children of Israel going into the land of Canaan. We have the children of Israel being taken into captivity and into bondage and being judged because of their idolatry. And when we get to the end of the Bible, well, all through the Bible, but finally to the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church, that is the final judgment of God upon a Christ-rejecting world. God reserves for himself. He is still the God who had Mount Sinai altogether in a smoke. And he reserves for himself the right to judge. He is the judge. And all will stand before him, both the living and the dead, and will give an account. And they'll be judged one of two ways. Either by their own good deeds or by what Christ has done. You want the latter. You don't ever want to be judged by your good deeds. Because the Bible says if you've broken just one portion of the law, you've broken the whole law. And you stand before him as a debtor. When he shows up, he's not just judging. He didn't show up at Judge Sodom and Gomorrah and only judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of what was going on that day, did he? It was because of the abounding wickedness that had taken place, the pervasive wickedness that had taken place in Sodom and Gomorrah for all those years. And it wasn't just one day that the earth was just bad one day and God said, time to send a flood. The earth had gotten so wicked and so dark, the Bible says that the thoughts and intentions of their heart were only about evil continually. There was so much necromancy going on that they were literally having communion with demons to the point that the Bible says that they were taking material form and having children with women. Now that's dark. And people say, I don't think it can get much worse, Pastor Frank. Be careful what you say. Because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Let's hope it doesn't get quite that bad. But the spirit of it, the whole world is eat, drink, and be merry. The whole world is eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The whole world has nothing in their hearts that would say, what would God have us to do? Or what is the righteous thing that I ought to do? But rather, whatever I want to do, if it feels good, do it. And they forget that our life is a mist that appears for a moment, James says, and then vanishes away. And we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I want him to look at me and I want him to say, you know, you could have eaten less. You could have done this better. Or you could have done, but well done. The people said to Jesus, what may we do that we may do the work of God? And he said, you've heard me say this just a couple times. This is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he sent. That's what we're going to be judged by. So when he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who what? Hate me. Don't make any mistakes. God is the judge. And he reserves judgment for himself, and he does perform judgment in his time. I like the second part better. But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I know this. My parents were terrible, terrible sinners. I mean, terrible. I mean, if you ask me, I'll tell you some stories. I wasn't born, so I know. But they gave their hearts, and they had those generational, quote-unquote, baloney curses, right? When they, when they got married, there was bets taken. You know what I'm saying? It's like Super Bowl Sunday when these two got married. I got 20 bucks. No way, man. No way. They're not going to last a month. Have you seen that guy drink? You know what I mean? 
And they gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ, and he turned them around 100% and made something beautiful out of their lives to the point that they could have a son who was a wicked, rebellious, naughty, mean-spirited, not all the time, my, my mommy would never admit to this, angry, violent young man. And God, from the time I was four years old, had his hand on my life, and he would never let me go. He visited mercy upon me. I believe it's because my family loved him. Verse 7. Oh, we're done. Yeah, we're done. Listen to me. <clears throat> I, this is exciting stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is how Bible study is supposed to be, kids. You know, we get to... Listen, I was talking to someone before church. I'm like... Like, you know what you have at your, in your fingertips here? You have more knowledge and more volumes of the writings of holy men and women and more knowledge available to you to know and understand the scriptures than anyone has ever had in the history of planet Earth. Do you know that? I wonder what Billy's doing today. <laughs> oh, look at an idiot. Hey, stupid, when you take a selfie, do this, not this. We're scared, Okay. Here it is. Here it is. And, and, and you young people, your parents always bust your chops about these things, right? And, pr- and rightfully so. You, you rotten... No. You know, and we're all guilty, you know, because we're like this. Get off your phone! <laughs> and here it is. There's a Bible app on here. And there's Bible study after Bible study after link after link where you can know Jesus better. And you can understand the truth and the knowledge of his holy word. And you can read through it and understand that it's not just saying, Lord, you got that's not that that's not that that's not No, no, but you can see into it and the Holy Spirit can reveal it to your heart and your life, the true meetings. I am Jehovah. And I am becoming what you need me to be. What do you need me to be? Maybe you don't know. He will show you what you need him to be. Only seek him. At one point in time, God said to the prophet to speak to the nation of Israel and say, you will seek after me and you will find me when you seek after me with all your heart. When you seek after God like you're underwater. You ever been underwater too long? If you have a sibling, you've been underwater too long. If you have an older sibling, you've been underwater. Right? My father used to dunk me. He'd be like, oh, Lord, I don't know, maybe... And you want that breath? How bad? How bad do you want that breath? Listen to me, friends. When you're in pain, when you're in emotional and mental anguish, and when your spirit is downcast and you're sitting in your room by yourself on the end of your bed going, why? And you feel that pain, know that he is the breath you're looking for. (gasps) Breathe him in. He will never do anything but edify you. And build you up and reveal himself to your heart and bless your life. I want my marriage to be good. I want, my, I want my kids to know what it means to be a child of God and to walk in his steps. I want you guys to come and hear me on Sundays and be blessed. Not be like, oh my goodness. He's, he's finally completely cracked all the way through. That all comes from God. That all comes from just walking in his presence. You know me, I'm an idiot. Right? I mean, here we are. This is why I love our church. 
We're all just here. What's up? We don't have to put forth any pomp or circumstance or, or false fronts. I know you're jacked up. Because I'm jacked up. Right? What did Jesus say? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What did he tell the religious hypocrites? It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. So limp your butt here. It's worth the trip, right? Because he is here. He said, where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he is that anointing oil. He is that salve to be put on the wounds of your heart, the wounds of your mind, and the wounds of your life if you let him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for all that you've accomplished for us, Lord. Thank you that we don't uh, approach uh, Mount Sinai, Lord, that's up in smoke and, and that shakes and causes us to tremble, Lord, but we have Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, <laughs> rather, that we can approach freely, Lord, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray that every single human being sitting in this room right now, Father God, would know and understand if they're ready to receive it or not, Lord, but there'd be something in their hearts where you'd be calling out to them. And people who church is old hat to, Lord, who are here week in and week out, Lord, I pray that you'd give them a fresh filling. Lord, we pray that you would anoint us because the world needs us. Uh, the world doesn't need <laughs> um, politicians. Uh, the, Lord doesn't need, uh, the world doesn't need artists. The, the world needs us. Lord, to be your hands and your feet. The world needs us, Father, individually, wherever it is that we go, where you send us, Lord, to preach life and love and peace and mercy and grace and forgiveness. To know that people can have a future and a hope in you, Lord. We, they need to hear that. And we're the ones, Lord. So conform us and change us, Lord, where we need to be changed. And root out the pigs in our life, Lord, and drive them over the cliff. Uh, Lord, draw us closer to you, Lord. Help Help your presence to become that breath that we desperately need, Lord. And help us to know the difference that when we're in pain, Lord, that, that you are what our spirit and our soul is crying out for. Not more stuff, not more distractions, Lord, but you. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Hey, Happy New Year. See you next year. Amen. Oh, hey, listen, one more thing. Sorry. You don't have to sit. You can stand. Um, tomorrow night, no pressure. I don't care if none of you come, okay? I'm going to be sitting here <laughs> with my guitar, and I'm going to do some worship. Um, we're going to just do some worship and sing some songs and praise God from like 6.30 to 8, whatever, early. Uh, on your way home from work, whatever, stop in, worship with us a little bit, and then, and then go to your, to your New Year's Eve festivities or whatever. Um, and, um, if your new year's Eve festivities involve things that you shouldn't be doing, definitely come to worship so that the whole time you're doing naughty things, you can be convicted. All right. No, but you're all welcome. We'd love to have you. No pressure though. Okay. It's, it's for you. Love yous.